Hi all, this is Laura Stinchfield, the Pet Psychic, and I'm excited to share with you today an author talk I did on 10-17-21 at Ruth Keeler Memorial Library in North Salem, New York. I read a section of my book and talk a lot about animals and how you can talk with animals, and I hope you enjoy it. And remember, you can buy my books online. You can go to my website, thepetpsychic.com, or you can go to Amazon and purchase them or any bookstore worldwide. Okay, enjoy. So thank you guys all for coming. I'm really excited to see you all and to see that there are people who really care about animals and want to learn how to talk to them and how to have a better relationship with them. Um, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about what I do and why people hire me and then maybe tell you a little bit about how you can do it yourself and then also maybe read a couple of articles from my book and then I'll open it to questions. So people hire me for all different types of reasons. Uh, some people hire me uh, just to see how their animal is doing and ask me, you know, like, what is their animal like or what are their animal's dislikes? Uh, vets hire me to see if they're kind of struggling with a case and they can't figure out what's wrong with the animal. And uh, they want to know how the animal is feeling, how the animal feels on a certain medicine. Uh, then they'll call me and ask for some advice if it's getting tricky. Um, people call me for death and dying. So if an animal is really sick, uh, and the people want to know, like, what makes my animal more comfortable and how they can help them more um, right when they're getting ready to pass away to, to explain them about euthanasia and to explain the death and dying process to them and help people through it, ask the animal whether or not they're ready to pass or not, which is a really difficult thing for people. And then after their animal passes away, people often call me. I also talk to deceased people as well. And so connecting people with their loved ones on the other side and teaching people how to, how to recognize when their animal or their loved one is around them in spirit. People also call me for behavioral issues. A lot of cats peeing outside the litter box um, or aggression, uh, dog aggression, cat aggression. Uh, problems with horses, being spooky in the arena, uh, problems, there's a book in here, there's an article in here that I was thinking about reading um, about a horse that wouldn't pick up his feet and to try and see like what's going on, why does the animal have a certain behavior and what can we do to help them fix it and get through with it. So the way I communicate with them is through telepathy and telepathy is sending uh, images and feelings and a sense of knowing to an animal and then receiving that back. So I will talk to the animal and ask them a question and then the animal will say back to me how they're thinking and feeling and my mind will pick it up. So it can come to... Hey, you guys! <laughs> so what happens is that when an animal sends you information, you can get it in multiple different ways. So you could get it in a visual. So you'll have something pop up into your mind, like a picture um, or like a little video that goes through your mind. Or you may have it as a feeling in your body. 
Like if an animal has a hurt shoulder, all of a sudden your shoulder might start hurting um, or your chest might start hurting. That happens all the time with people who are living in the home with animals. They'll start to have an issue that their animal is having and they think it's their own. They'll even go to the doctor and say, oh, I've got this problem. But what's happening is that the animal is sending it to their people saying, this is how I feel, but the people are not recognizing it as that. Um, it could be just a sense of knowing, like we've all sort of had a pet that's come up to us and looked at us and you just know it wants a treat or wants a glass of, or wants some fresh water, right? Or wants to go outside. You just have a sense of knowing because they're sending it that, that to you. And so it's really important to start paying attention to the way we all are thinking and feeling around our animals and just thinking and feeling in general. Because if you know your own mind, then you can know what's happening with an animal or something else is trying to give you a message. So if you know throughout the day what you're thinking and how you think and what images pop up into your mind and while they're doing that, it's a lot easier to recognize when something else pops up into your head. And then you can say, okay, where did that come from? And now we've all experienced that if we go into a room and all of a sudden you just feel really excited. Well, you're picking up the energy in the room around you. It wasn't necessarily yours when you walked in, but then you picked it up around you and then you're feeling it. Um, the same with if you walk into a room where there's just been an argument, argument, there's a heaviness in the room and you just can kind of feel it, right? Um, and so we're doing that all the time. So also where if you think about somebody and then they email you or then they call you, so what's happening is that they're putting it out there, they're thinking about you, that energy is going out, and then you're picking it up. And then they, they're calling because you've picked up that they've been thinking about you and that they were, gonna, they were going to email you or call, or it could go the other way. You start thinking about somebody, you're putting it out there, your mind is putting it out there, and then all of a sudden they call you because they've, they've, they've picked up you. So it's really important to start thinking and thinking about what am I thinking at any given moment and how am I feeling? So the other thing that I think is really important when we're talking to the animals is to think about energy. And when we're communicating with another animal, it's a frequency. It's a frequency of energy. So if you think about um, just like a, like a radio frequency and... Uh, when we're communicating with our animals or we're communicating with spirit or we're creating something in our lives or manifesting something um, or we're in joy or gratitude, we're at a very high frequency of energy. Um, and when we're depressed or sad or you're feeling regret or remorse um, or worry, you're at a low frequency of energy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you think about that on a radio dial, that's the, the higher emotions, the higher frequencies are higher on the radio dial, and the lower frequency emotions are lower on the radio dial. Um, we sort of are in the middle every day. We sort of are in the middle, and then we oscillate between the two. Well, when um, if we think about those emotions also as being housed somewhere in our body, or those frequencies being housed somewhere in our bodies, those lower frequency emotions like worry, regret, um, anger, um, sadness, depression, they're housed sort of in our stomach. 
in our in our gut sort of area. So, oh, you know, that makes me feel sick. When you think about something, it's in your stomach. Um, when you think about those higher emotions like love and gratitude and joy and creating something, communicating the spirit, communicating with your animals, that's up in your heart center and higher. So if we want to communicate with the animals, we have to get up into our hearts and feel from the heart and then communicate from that area, from that space, right? Because we need to raise our frequency to their energy and make it easier. So it's like when you're sad or depressed, that's that's sort of like having bad cell service. So you're, if you're communicating to a loved one who's in spirit or even communicating to a loved one here on earth of a human or another animal, it's going to be more muddled. And it's and you kind of have to get up, get up into your heart, get clear, and then um, communicate from that, that place. Now, when we're communicating with our animals, it's really important to start thinking about how we're phrasing things. So let's say we have an animal who, um, who jumps on people. And you want to teach that animal not to jump on people, right? Um, you want to try and stay away from saying things like, don't, don't jump up on people when they come in the door, or don't jump. Because what happens when you phrase it in the negative like that is that you're feeling the negativity. So you're down in your gut. You're feeling that negativity of that emotion. And then you're also picturing the animal jumping. And you're picturing the bad thing that's going to happen if the animal jumps. So the animal hears jump because we're picturing the jumping and we're feeling the jumping in the body. So you want to say to an animal, um, all fours on the ground, um, uh, get off is, you know, if you're using dog training terms off and all fours on the ground, you can say to them when grandma comes in and you jump up on grandma, she may fall. And so then you're picturing in your head, all those things happening. And then the dog will realize, okay, if I jump, grandma may fall. So it's really important that when you, when grandma comes in, you keep all fours on the ground. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, it's, if you can just do that, if you can picture and feel everything that you're saying to the animals, they're going to get it. That's easy. Easy, easy, easy. They're getting it all the time. So, um, so getting it back is a little bit harder. Um, and that is just going into your heart center, asking them to tell you, what's what's what they want to tell you and then to trust that it will come it may come like i said in like a flash of a picture or a sense of knowing but it may not come at that right right mo that that exact moment because you might be trying too hard you might be listening too hard and like what are you saying i can't get it and but your mind has like this little answering machine and it will play it over for you later on or the animals will tell you later, like while you're in the shower, while you're doing dishes, and you'll just be like, oh, maybe this is why, or oh, maybe this is it. So you just kind of want to start paying attention to what you're thinking and feeling after you ask an animal a question. Does that make, make sense? Okay. Um, so 
people often ask me like, when did I start this or how did I know that I could communicate with the animals? And I've been communicating with them my whole life. Uh, my earliest memory is of my mom and dad holding our little Yorkshire Terrier over my crib and her and me looking up at her thinking how furry she was and and uh she's saying to me like you're so small so i always knew what they were thinking and feeling and i also had i was trying to think of like what stories to tell you and I, there's a lot of them in the book that i always tell but these are a few that i don't tell that often um I used to ride competitively when I, hello, <laughs> oh, well, welcome. <laughs> so I used to ride competitively when I was young and um, I always just kind of knew what the animals were thinking and feeling, but I didn't realize that nobody else did. And that was really tough for me because it was before the internet. It was before I had that, you know, I could just Google something and I, at, there was this one, one time where I had this horse and she, uh, so something happened to her hip and this was before I knew about, you know, chiropractors and things that we could do to help the horses. And she started to refuse jumps and my trainer, um, told me to whip her, you know, whip her over the jumps. And, but I could tell that when I was going up to a jump, that her hip kind of like dipped and I could tell she was like in pain and I couldn't understand. And I knew it's so strong that like it was her hip, like she wasn't jumping. And my trainer was telling me, you'll hit her, hit her, whip her, whip her. And I, I couldn't understand why she would tell me to do that when a horse was in pain. And she actually got on the horse and, and she did that and she hit it. And seeing situations like that over and over was was one of the reasons why I eventually decided to stop riding because I saw a lot of abuse that I didn't understand, you know, if people, if people understood animals, like, why are they doing that? Things have changed a lot. And I mean, there were a lot of great people at that time too. Um, but that was just my experience and things have changed a lot since then about our consciousness of animals and them working with us as a team rather than we just using them for something that, that we want to get done for ourselves. Um, so another experience I had about uh, talking to an animal and like where, where it was sort of solidified in my mind at a young age that we could talk to the animals and they could listen to us. Um, I, we lived in Scarsdale at the time and I was... I used to go and sort of wander with my friends like around the neighborhood. And we used to go into people's yards all the time and uh, places where you shouldn't be. And, and I was about eight years old, probably. And my friend and I kind of climbed this fence to these, this yard and there were these two beautiful German shepherds. And I just wanted to like pet them, right? And they were kind of watching us and my friend Jessica and I were like, yeah, let's just go and like pet them. So we jumped into the yard and the dogs went crazy because they're German shepherds and there's like kids in their yard. And so they were barking, barking, barking. My friend actually got bit. And uh, the owners came out and said, you know, oh my God, are you okay? Like, 
come in and they fed us cookies. I don't know if they were bribing us so that we wouldn't tell our parents, but uh, <laughs> they fed us cookies and they said, and I remembered watching the German shepherds and they just didn't trust us because we jumped in the yard and they just kind of sat and watched us the whole time we were in the house. And uh, the owner said, the, the woman said, you know, you can't just jump into people's yards because these dogs are protective and you're going to get bit. And, and, but if you want to come back and visit them, you can call us and we will tell them that you're coming. And if we tell them you're coming, they'll be okay with you here. So I was like, okay, you know, so we took their number and we left. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like, what is this? You know, like you tell them, you know, that we're coming. So I don't remember how long it was. I don't even remember if Jessica came with me for the time when I called them. I called them and I went back and she was like, sure, sure, come over. And when I came over, the dogs were completely different. They were running around, grabbing their toys and playing with a ball and I could pet them and like hug them and I could throw the balls for them and they were completely different. And it solidified in me like, wow, you can talk to them and they can have a different behavior. Um, so that was really amazing for me. So um, I thought maybe I would read a, uh, read something along that lines from one of my book, from one of my books. And, uh, this is Voices of the Animals is a, a collection of insightful articles and stories that will change the way you view and treat animals. It was actually written, their articles were for the, originally for the Santa Barbara News Press and they were published in the Santa Barbara News Press. And then I made a book of them. Uh, so, <clears throat> Am I talking too fast? No. no. Okay. Okay, good. You're like, um, so this is one of my earliest experiences with talking to a client's animals. I, uh, before I was an animal communicator, when I was first starting to be an animal communicator, I was also a dog trainer and an animal trainer. And that was at one point, in, well, even before that, I was a pet sitter and dog walker. So while I was learning how to be a, a pet psychic, I was dog training. And I was very, very shy at the time to tell people that I was starting to do animal communication professionally. So I was often talking to the animals without telling my clients because I just, you know, I didn't know, you know, and I wasn't, yeah, I was, no, I thought cheating. Uh, I was really, really shy. And even when I first started to talk to clients uh, professionally, I would have to be in a separate room and I would have to write it all down. And then I would have to go back. And then everything that I had written, I'd probably only tell the client like a quarter of it <laughs> because I, some stuff was like so out there. I just was like, how are they ever going to like believe that? And it takes time and practice too, to know like what's coming from you, what's coming from someone else and how to weed out, like how much of you are being put into it. Because it is definitely a dance of like, like what am I receiving and, and making sure that you don't put your own ideas to it. So 
so this was one of my earliest clients and this is a dog about a dog um named jake and this dog was this was in santa barbara and santa barbara is actually a very very dog friendly community people bring their dogs everywhere they bring their dogs to the beach they bring their dogs into stores they bring their dogs into like nordstrom's um they bring them to restaurants They're, they go everywhere with people and so if you have a dog in santa barbara you usually are taking them out places and so this dog was rescued from a high kill shelter in LA and it was rescued by a smaller organization. And then these people adopted the dog. So the history wasn't really known about him. He, these people had a huge estate that overlooked the ocean. And even though they had property, they still wanted to take this dog out to the beach and to the dog park. Um, so, so here's the story and I'll read the story and then I'll talk about it and then I'll read a little bit more. So, okay. It's called be open to possibilities. Jake was three years old when I first met him. He had big wheat colored, watchful eyes, silky black, long coated fur and a body like a golden retriever. His people signed him up for my six week intensive dog training program because he was showing signs of dog aggression. On our first walk, he pulled on the leash, lunging towards a timid Maltese as he foamed at the mouth, growling and barking viciously. To all humans, clearly the Maltese was no threat. It didn't matter what kind of dog was in sight, he acted the same. Now that, I don't know if any of you have ever had a dog like that, but that can be very, very dangerous, right? Because that dog could grab a Maltese and shake it, kill it. It can get away from people. It's very, very scary to have a dog like that because a big dog like that can knock you down um, and, and like drag you. People can be traumatized having dogs like that. And they're everywhere. Dogs like this are everywhere. Um, our first, oh wait, sorry. Um, although my clients lived on a large estate, they wanted to bring Jake to the beach and to the dog park. They wanted nothing to do with his training. I explained that it's not the best way to set up a dog for success. Dogs need consistency. If they didn't just want Jake to pass other dogs calmly on leash, but also run free among a great number of dogs without aggression, they needed to learn about dog training and behavior so they could support him too. They wanted nothing to do with it. I made no guarantees. So a lot of dogs like that, you can teach them to walk really nicely around other dogs, but then a, a dog running off leash could set them off. That's why it's extremely important for anyone here that has a really friendly dog off leash to never ever let your dog go over to a dog who's on leash because really stressed dogs that can do serious harm are walking really nicely with their people. So um, I like to stress that whenever I can. Um, I was too shy to mention my pet psychic services to Jake's people, but I felt it was important to talk to Jake about what was going on. Jake told me he had known only dogs that fought for food and or attention and that he never had a good friend before. He never had a dog friend before. Now that's really scary too because now we have a dog that 
that may not have ever learned uh, bite inhibition, right? So if he's around another dog, he might break the skin. And uh, he learned that anyone coming towards him is fighting for territory or food, right? So that's like post-traumatic stress. So this can be held as some of you know that have ever had post-traumatic stress, you can hold that your whole life and have a hard time letting it go. Um, I asked him where he had lived. He, li he shared that he had lived in a small dirt yard. Stray dogs would, would often come and fence fight or jump into the yard and fight for his bowl of kibble. One day, his people just turned him free he ended up at a high kill shelter where he was taken in by a smaller rescue organization. I asked Jake how his life has changed. He told me that he feels clean, safe, loved, and cared for. He loves when his people are petting him. He, he said he feels calm in his yard, listening to the wind, smelling the ocean, watching the squirrels, and playing ball. So now why I did that, why I asked him how his life was changed, because even as a dog trainer or any type of trainer who you have an animal that's having some type of aggression, you want the dog to remember what it's like to feel calm when they're in a situation, when they're in that stressful environment, right? So we want to have them remember what it feels like to be calm and be able to, to bring themselves back to that calmness. And so asking him, like, what makes you feel calm and how have you seen your life already change from what it was, was important for that dog to think about and also important for me to know so that I could help him while I'm out and help him to sort of feel safe. Um, I told him that his life with other dogs could just be could just like could be just like that completely different from his past experiences so now this dog had never had a good experience with other dogs but and he never had a good experience with people and now he lived on this huge estate and was living really happy with other dogs or other people and so i wanted him to know hey you know what maybe you can do that with with dogs too and I think that's really, really important for us to remember when we're talking to our animals and they have something bad, we get so attached to the rescue story, we get so attached to their trauma story that we forget to mention to them, hey, there's this whole other world. Like you can be good, like you can be happy, you can live this whole different life, you can change. And we all know that it's hard to change, right? Even for people. Um, I told him that dogs at the beach and at the park just want to be calm, happy, and playful like he feels in his yard. I told him to be open to the possibility of enjoying the company of other dogs and that his future could be better than he could even imagine right now. That his future could be better than he could even imagine right now. Right? Like, shouldn't we all feel that way? He loved this concept. He crawled his big body into my lap and kissed my face. No, he was easy, right? He just was like, got it. He was like, okay, cool. I like that idea. I'm game. I'm with you. And just like some people, right? You help some people. They, you tell them one thing. Okay, I, I've got what I need and I can go into the scary situation. I know how to calm myself. Where others, it takes them another year or two years to be able to do something, right? 
remarkably from, from that moment on, Jake never barked or lunged at another dog. Truly never, which was amazing for me because I made my living as a dog trainer and this took like six, 12 weeks. I mean, this could take a long time. And some dogs never are able to do it. He ran at the beach and at the park with a solid come when he was called and a smile on his face. After the six weeks, his people never needed my services again. 10 years later, I was at the beach when I saw a dog running full speed towards me. This can still make me cry out, even when I think about it now. When he reached me, he knocked me down, licking my face. It took me a moment. Oh oh my gosh, it's Jake. Now at this point, I was working professionally as an animal communicator, very confident in it. He was whining with happiness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for telling me that I can have a life better than I can imagine. I have the best life. Kneeling, I hugged him. He put his paws on my shoulders, licked my face, and wagged his tail. Tears streamed from my eyes. I'm so proud of you, Jake. I still cry. I still cry. (laughs) I was amazed that he remembered me, smelled me from so far away, and that I and what I said had had such a big, big impact on him even 10 years later. I think of him many times each month when I tell other rescue animals about Jake and how he changed. You know others like me, they respond. They changed. So that just goes to show like how much what we feel about how our animals can change affects our animals. We need to believe in their possibility that they can change. Because of him, other animals live happier lives. During hard times, I remember Jake's courage too. I contemplate how his people, I remember Jake's courage too. I contemplate how his people's detachment from Jake's aggressive behavior and their confidence that he could change may have played an integral part in his evolution. Now I say that because his people always just sort of, they only knew happy dogs, right? So they were like, oh, he, he can be happy, right? Like you, he could be happy. So when, so afterwards, after I had done, worked with him and handed him over to them, when they went to the beach with him, they just felt like, okay, he's going to be good. You know, they had done their responsibility and they had hired a dog trainer, right? So they took responsibility for their dog's aggressive behavior. And then they believed that he could get better. Now, if you had a, a different client and the client still went fearful to the beach, I don't, I think Jake still would have been fine, but another dog might've been scared. So if someone went like, oh my God, what if he does this? And Jake's all wagging his tail happy. And another dog is like, I don't know, is there going to be aggression? A a more insecure dog might say, "Uh uh-oh, my people is nervous. My people think something bad is going to happen. I better bark and be scary. So that's why it's really important that we think about, we hold a positive experience for our animals so that our animals can walk into that life. Hey.
<laughs> Does anybody have any questions or? a while to change the habit. Yeah. And it takes a while to get the habit, it takes a while to change it, but it doesn't seem to be that way with the animals. Is it the same or it's just like people. Some people, some animals can change the habit really quickly. And other animals struggle for a really long time. So it's the same. It really is the same. Um, but if we kind of go up into our heart and raise our, like our frequency, right. And, and have a vision for them is easier for them to change. Yeah. But some animals need a lot of support. Like a dog like that, a really great dog, you know, might need some more training and have his own people come and help him through those situations. And, and it might take longer for a dog like that to, to be able to change that habit. Yeah. So are your animals constantly talking? All the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just because that that is dialogue is open. So yes, there they always are, yeah. It's hard for her parents to get a word in. <laughs> oh <laughs> so I, I I missed the part. Maybe you said it I didn't yeah. hear how did the horse's shoulder? How did what? Oh her hip. Well, she was sort of a sad story, actually. We ended up selling her. She was kind of like the, my, my love horse. And I, we ended up selling her. And uh, that was actually really sad, too, because when she was, she actually went to a horse dealer for a little while. And I could feel her, like, like saying, being really scared. So from a distance, but I didn't understand it. Like, I didn't understand that was happening. Was yeah. And then, um, and then she came back for a little while and she was trying so hard and it just didn't work out for our family to, I had gotten another horse and, you know, it was just back then that's what you did. You had a horse till it could do a certain stuff. And then you, then you got it, you let them go and you got a new horse. And for a lot of people, that's still what happens with horses. So one of my favorite things to do is to tell a horse that they have a home for life because they are really, especially if they've gone off with a dealer before, they've gone to different barns before, they are scared. They don't know like what's going on. So to, to tell a horse, like if you have horses that, that um, come into your barn or like even if you bore, I don't know how many of you are horse people, but if you have a, like a horse that you even see come into a barn and you know that they're on trial or if you know somebody just bought them, it's important just to kind of like tell them, hey, like this is up. This is what's happening to you. Like you're on trial here to see if they like you or just to let them know like what's going on because they, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. A long time yeah. and they see many homes a lot of them yeah yeah do you have a question um i have a
sweet spot that she didn't have to use to get her cancer. Yeah. So, and if you look at ones like Tinkle, Tinkle's here to Tinkle. Yeah. Trust me, it took like four months before she was cancer. Yeah. Oh, and how long have you had her? Oh, yeah, right, right. Yep. Yes, and so it could be people, but it could also be just the energy of dogs that could create something like that. Because in hoarding situations, those people often just throw bags of kibble. And then the dogs, I mean, because they don't really want a lot of dog fights. And if you give bowls, there's going to be dog fights. So if you just throw kibble, then the dogs will just go and like find kibble. But then there's, you know, a lot of those dogs have worms at first. And so there are fast moving dogs that are kind of going for food. So then those animals become conditioned to any fast movement that that is dangerous and scary, right? But what she wouldn't need at a bowl. And that might be why, because she never, maybe never had a bowl before. She maybe didn't know what that was. Or if she went for a bowl, that was like really scary if she was lower on the pecking order. Um, so just telling her, like when she wakes up from the dream, oh, did you have a nightmare from your past? But it's okay. Those are all going to go away. We're going to give you good memories. What are some good memories you can think of? You know? Yeah, but but uh, make a let her know you understand. Like, oh, is that an old memory? That will go away in time. You know, it gets less and less in time, which is true. It does. It gets less and less in time. And dreams, they're just processing it out. So it's good that she's processing it, you know? So, oh, you're processing. Look, now you got this great life. And, you know, or, and then the other thing is like when you have animals like that that are really skittish, you can, like I said, like get really like attached to the rescue story and like, oh, this that's where you're okay. Like, it's okay. You're not doing them any good. Like being, feeling sorry for them. Like be like, yeah, you're all right. Good girl. Like just a kid running. Come back here. Like I have a little chihuahua that was like that. And I teach him the behind, he used to lunge and like bite. And I teach him the behind command. So like when he sees that kind of stuff now, I teach him behind and that's his safety. So even teaching her like a behind command, so she knows, okay, I go behind if I'm scared. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> no, you need to be the protector. You just tell her to go behind you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you talk about positive thoughts and everything. I have no idea about any of this, right? I'm learning about it now for the first time. We take our cats out when they go out because we got a lot of critters in the woods that live in the mountains. And bears. Bears and foxes and stuff. So we take them out with us. And when it's time to come in, they said they only wanted five or ten minutes. Yeah, right. Kids. And I would try to get them to come and, and they, would make, they wouldn't make eye contact with me. Just mm -hmm. to say, oh, I don't see him because he's not there. So I started saying, come on, you're a good boy. 
and all of a sudden they would just get up and start without even turning their head and just start walking. And I, I had one that got over to our neighbor's house, almost where that car is up there, and it was through the woods. Oh. And I, I didn't want to go through there, so I said, Romeo, come here. And he bolted. I never seen he's 16 years old. He ran as fast as a deer. Yeah. All the way mm. up almost ran me over. Oh. He was so happy to get back because he was he was scared. He didn't know where he was. And when he heard me, and I guess when he saw me. Yes. He, and you said, come here yeah. instead of don't go. Like right, if you said. Right. And, but, but I started saying, you're a good boy. Oh. And I didn't know that that was as powerful as it really is. Yes. And so every now and then, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. The thunder can be a difficult one for some of them too because there's electricity in the air. So like I don't does he go into the bathroom? He just shakes. Yeah. So that's actually in my book too is like how to tell an animal about fireworks. Um but you just tell them like every time of year like this is the time of year people play with toys and this toys like I tell them all what fire looks fireworks look like and they make this big loud noise. And you can do the same with the weather. Like, knowledge is power. So the more you can explain in detail, like, what it is, like, you're safe inside the house. That noise can't get you. You know, that you're safe here. And you want to give that feeling of safety where you are, you know? Like, with my little chihuahua, she's gotten scared. One of them, she's scared of the, the uh, weather here because of the, the intensity in the air. Right. And so she now ha we have a place where she goes and she stopped trembling when she goes there. So like I put a little bed in the laundry room and that's where she goes. So like having them like have a repetitive safety area too, where you're like, there you're safe. Some of them like the cuddling, but I like to teach them to have another place besides me because you're not going to be home all the time, you know? So, um, but, and they like to, I mean, I don't know, you have to figure out, like, what, what does your animal like? Like, you know, she likes comfy cozy where you can get under a blanket and the laundry room is good because it's got that piping. If it is the, you know, with bad weather, it's more grounding. Yeah, but knowledge is power. So the more you can explain to an animal, like, what's going on and how to be more confident and brave, it's going to help them. And if you just start doing that with your animals, explaining them, you will notice a difference in their behavior. Yeah. Whoop, I can't hear you. When it's time for them to pass away, it's a tough one, of course, right? But uh, to tell them, to, to explain to them, I don't know what your belief system is in heaven or the other side. But if you have a belief system that there is another side, to explain to them what that is. Um, I have that in the book as well. But like uh, telling them, you know, they're, that they'll still remember you and that they'll feel like they did when they were young and they're going to be okay and that they can come back and give you messages. And then telling them, like, when if you need help, I will help you, but you need to tell me over and over and over and over and over again. And telling them that, you will, you will hear it. You will not 
just people all of a sudden one day, they just know, you know, and like people are like, I don't know if I'm going to know, but you know, when it's that day, you know, and then not to second guess it. Also, one of the things to know when an animal is getting sick or when they're getting older, sometimes, some days they feel really crummy and they're like, I think I'm going to die. And then the next day they're like, oh, I feel pretty good. Right. So they might be saying you one day, I don't know. Mom. Like, I, I kind of feel bad. Like, I think I'm getting ready. And then the next day they're like, nah, I'm good. And, <laughs> and people are like, I don't know. I'm so confused. The reason why you're confused is because they're giving you mixed messages. So they're saying, so that's why I say to them, like, I need to know over and over and over and over again. Like I've even said to my three days in a row and you know, I mean, sometimes I, I know like immediately, but other times, like if it's kind of funny and I'm like three days in a row and you do it three days in a row, we're good. Yeah. Carol. <laughs> Yeah. That are born like a little bit cranky and a little bit ornery. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, I would think definitely. Like, there's definitely like just like people, right? But in that situation, I would also wonder, like, ah, huh, did she get knocked out of alignment through the birthing process? You know what I mean? Like, is her atlas out? And, you know, it would be interesting to get that horse adjusted because if the atlas is out, which is at the base of the skull, you know, by the pole, that's like the horses that are pulling back and they're getting out of the pole, that affects the whole nervous system. So if that's out, you're going to have a more, more cranky, flighty animal. So then I kind of wonder, like, huh? Like, that would have been my thought if... Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know if it was physical because you don't know because if someone is born with a disability like that, they don't know anything different. So they can become like great performers because they're just going through it and they could still have that, you know, that energy they were bred for, right? So they're still bred for that sort of behavior but it's maybe like I mean I don't know if that was the issue that horse might have been a little bit more difficult to bridle or a little bit more difficult when they pull it a certain way because they would feel that pain down the down the um down the face I don't know so they definitely they can be more cranky and more ornery and definitely genetics plays a role in it too I mean you see some dot like I have a German shepherd who is his testosterone and that play he's neutered but it definitely plays a role in behavior so i mean it's possible yeah my wife would tell you that was <laughs> yeah well that's understandable on a bicycle <laughs> 
I think about that because I know some horses that like were trained for that, you know? So I think about, oh, like I know some horses that are okay like that. Like in California, there's a lot of mountain bikers. And so I know a lot of horses that are okay with, with, um, with bikes coming at them. But it could just be lack of socialization. But also horses are prey animals, right? So they, they, um, they've been preyed upon, right? So, and they're, they're, so a bike coming at them would be scary to them, right? Because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And then with any animal, if like anything goes above them, they might think that maybe it could be like a mountain lion or it could be, I mean, it's their instincts that think, well, maybe that could jump up on top of me. So it might just be instincts like, wait, that's not right. Like I'm, so that's why there's fight or flight and horses will flee. That's why there's so many spinning horses and horses that bolt because they are prey animals. And that's what they do when they're scared. They either fight or flight unless we can make them feel calm. So that's probably they're just like scared. Yeah. And they're confused. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. I have experienced that a lot, actually. Yeah, they can smell it and they can also see the energy of it. Um, I had a cat, actually, it wasn't my cat, but a client's cat who said to, uh, uh, a woman had hired me to talk with her mother and her mother's cat and, uh, it was on the phone. And so she was on the phone with her mom and the, and, and the cat and, and the, the cat started to talk about, um, and the mom was, the, the mother was like 86 years old. She was older. And they, the cat started to talk about what do we do when my mom dies? You know, like what kind of plan do we have? Like if my mom dies and, uh, they were like, well, you know, why she was actually cancer. She was, she had battled cancer in the past and she had been good. And so she, you know, thought like, I'm good. Nothing's happening like right away. And the cat was like persistent and was like, I want to know, like, where am I going? Where am I going to live? And, uh, the, and then the cat said to me, I feel like there's something around my mom's chest. And there's like an energy like around her chest or a darkness around her chest. And so I said that to them and they, they were like, oh, I don't know. I feel good. You know, we're like, I'm feeling really good. And so, uh, after that, there were other things that kind of went on in the session, but after that, the daughter had called me up and she had said that after that session, they started to talk about like what to do if she dies and like what to do with the what to do with the cat and what to do with like her whole affairs actually. And, uh, then she said that she was kind of freaked out about it. So she got an appointment with her doctor and the woman actually ended up having lung cancer. And so the cat noticed it before she even felt it. She did felt like fine breathing. The woman eventually did pass away. Um, but the, the daughter told me if it wasn't for that cat, 
them having to deal with all those things before, like it gave them time to kind of discuss what they were going to do um, before they actually knew she had cancer again. And then they caught the cancer soon enough to where they were able to kind of, you know, know what was happening. So it's, it's amazing. Then I had another dog who was a dachshund and a miniature dachshund. And the woman called me because the miniature dachshund was getting out of the house while she was at work and they didn't know how it was getting out of the house. And like people were finding it, but it was like dangerous because it was like a five pound dachshund. And uh, the, the, the dog said to me, well, it was getting out through the dryer vent. And yes. And the dog said to me, I see something around my mom's uterus, like her, her bladder area. And she had, she had been in remission um, for uterine cancer and it came back and the dog was scared and was trying to find his mom. So they, they, it's amazing. They smell it and they see it. What do you mean? The, the dog didn't. Well, a lot of these animals will come and like sleep on the area or they'll like sniff at the area or they'll poke the area a lot. And so some people don't recognize it, right? They don't, or until later on when, after they've been diagnosed, they're like, oh, maybe that's what happened. But at the time people don't recognize it. Yeah, but an animal will often, like, go to places where you have illness. I mean, if you see, like, a dog licking your wound or something, you know, they, they smell it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, what? By phone. So telepathy happens over time and space. So it's just like I was saying before about how, or I don't know if I did say it, um, if somebody calls, some, you're thinking about somebody and then they call, so you can project it through space. I actually like to have a picture of the animal. So I will look at the, the to me, the eyes are like their telephone number. So I look at a picture of the animal and then I can tune in from there. Yeah, I don't do FaceTime actually while I'm talking with people because I type out while I'm talking and the FaceTime distracts me, like seeing people in the background. Yeah. Oh, so there. Oh, where is I'm stepping on it. So um, this book is about my, is quotes from my late dog Stormy. He, um... I actually had him um, for many years. He lived to be 16. He was an Australian Shepherd. And he was just like one of those really cool dogs that was like never needed a leash. And was like just like a really, really good boy. And I used to have a radio show and we would do Stormy's Words of Wisdom at the end of it. And so this is a book of like his quotes of like things that he said throughout the years. And he like, he just was like one of those dogs that just like had like a huge following. Like we would be walking down the street and like people would be like, Stormy at the window. <laughs> like people just loved him and he got fan mail. And, um, and I think I told you um, on Facebook one time I was in a store at 
Oh, yes, right. Yes, that's right. And that's this picture, actually. Yeah, it was that picture. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. He got on a greeting card. <laughs> but um, so here are some of them. Whenever I feel a friend being sad, I send them energy. In order to be happy, you have to exercise. Also, look at nature and feel, oh, how wonderful. Uh, he says, I really do care about how you feel, but I care more about teaching you how to be happy. He's just a cool little guy. Um, when I breathe softly, I feel like I have greater insight into my life, into the lives of others. I feel healthier. Oh, the other really cool thing about Stormy was... He, when he was about 12 years old, he got diagnosed with liver cancer and Cushing's disease. Uh, he had a tumor on his liver and his pituitary gland, and he lost all his, like most of his fur. It got really blotchy, and his, he was black and white, and his fur turned like red. It's like weird, because which happens sometimes with like the liver. And um, Stormy was like, I'm not going to be sick. He's like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not going to be sick. And uh, he, I changed his diet. Uh, I gave him more vegetables. He ate so many fruits and vegetables. And uh, I put him on CBD. But he was, like, determined to be, like, uh, oh, he was given less than six months to live also. And he was determined to, like, keep living. And he wouldn't accept the diagnosis. He lived four more years. And he died at 16. Yeah. Which was a lot. He was like an 85 pound dog. Yeah. And so it just goes to show. And like at the time, my followers, they were, I had the radio show and people were following him and they like, you just couldn't believe it. Like how he kind of turned himself around. And a lot of the animals will do that. They'll cure themselves of like incurable diseases. I know a lot of people who have cured themselves of incurable diseases of like raising your frequency up into your heart and thinking positive things. Yeah, and believing that that's a possibility. Was I already a communicator when I got Stormy? I don't think I... Was I... Oh, look it! Annie, they followed Annie! <laughs> They're Annie's! Annie's my neighbor, and she's the she's the turkey vulture queen. <laughs> They're hers. <laughs> I can't take credit for that one. <laughs> they are. They followed you here. <laughs> They live at her house and everything. <laughs> She's an animal communicator too, this one. <laughs> There's always thought about it, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah. Yeah, it is so fun to do. It was nice because people called in and we got to talk to animals like just quickly, you know, like a whole bunch of them for an hour. So there's always thought about bringing it back. We just haven't done it yet. Yeah. 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 It's funny that you 
days ago. Oh. I said, what shall I do? What shall I do? And I was waiting for the Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's also in the book. There's a whole chapter on that. But um, cats being outside of the litter box, it can be all sorts of different yeah. things. It can be they have a UTI yeah. or they're getting too much sugar in their diet. So one of the things is to check the food to make sure it's not owned by a candy company. No Nestle, um, Mars, uh, Smuckers, which is like a, the candy companies are buying up a lot of our pet food. Um, but uh, it can be the litter tops on the litter box. Number one reason they don't like the smell in there. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else here? All the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I feed the farmer's dog, which is a, uh, which is a food that gets delivered to your door. So I be really believe in fresh food for your animals. Yeah, the kibble is so processed. I give it to my German Shepherd just because he's so big. I don't want him to have all that protein of the um, of the meat, but um, I supplement it with that. But it, it, there's not a lot of nutritional value in kibble, so it's giving them fruits and vegetables is important too, and fresh meats. I think, yeah, yeah. But dogs often talk about the number one reason why dogs lick like lick the bedding or lick the floor or pant at night is acid reflux. And that's usually because the kibble is too hard to digest. For them, over eight, over eight to 10, you can see that in older animals. But sometimes when he's there, so I know that he gets an anxiety if my husband, I mean, he adores my husband, God, mm. but I can't figure out when we're home why he does it. I've never had a dog, I've never had a dog eat, and so. Interesting. Well, that can be a whole bunch of different reasons, too. It could be his teeth right? Like it, it's possible. It could be his teeth. Like the puppy teeth maybe didn't fall out and then the new ones came in. Karen's are wild little things, right? So it could be just lack of exercise. Oh no. <laughs> or or um, lack of mental stimulation. Like they need lots of training. Like any of those really smart dogs, they need to have lots of boundaries and lots of training. So, and to know where it's appropriate to chew. Right? So where can they go to get an appropriate chew toy? That's important too. So to have like a basket or something. Yeah. It was, right. So then that's something you want to like clean up and put in one area because then otherwise they don't know what's appropriate and what isn't if there's too many things out. So if they grab the hose, you can't blame them because it looks just like some, one of their toys around. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all for coming. And my CD too. I have a CD on death and dying. So.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my author talk. You can find my books and meditation C at thepetpsychic.com or anywhere online. Just Google Laura Stinchfield, The Pet Psychic, and you will find them. Thanks for listening.